Well, good morning, South Valley Community Church. We have an incredibly important Sunday before us. When I was originally putting this together, I was thinking about maybe having this be a part of a Monday morning update or its own special separate video. But as I was working through this, I realized this is something I want our entire church to not only hear, but I'd like our entire church to be able to do the process of what we're about to do. And that's work through an equation to reopen. And the reason why I want us to develop this this ability is because the same process that's going to help inform us on how and when and why we ought to reopen, that same process is something the Christian must learn to do, not only for our current situation, but in many situations to come. Throughout your life as a Christian, there will be times where you will need to be able to do what we're going to do. And so uh, I've developed an equation. This is a, a simple math equation that will help us know exactly when and how and why to reopen. And the equation is, is very simple, a simple equation. Let me, let me show it to you. It is y equals cx plus wx minus px plus sx minus fx minus qx. Pretty simple, straightforward, right? Um, so in one sense, I'm kidding. But in another sense, as you're going to see in a little bit, I'm, I'm actually serious. Um, in the equation, y equals opening up. And we will open up when we can balance the equation of CX plus WX minus PX plus SX minus FX minus QX. And again, it's slightly funny, but each, each one of these letters represents a certain factor. And we'll have to look at that factor and weigh it. And then we'll have to look at that factor and weigh it up against all the other factors and through wisdom come up with a decision. And so what I want to do is work through these different letters because these letters aren't just important for us right now. Each one of these factors that are represented by a letter are issues that Christians will always have to think through, wrestle with, and balance up against other issues. And so, Y equals opening up. So when do we get to open up? It's when the rest of the equation balances out. So first, C. What does the C stand for? C stands for civil authorities. Christians are called to submit to the governing authorities. This has, you know, become incredibly, how should I say, crazy in the last five days, because when I began working on this, the civil authorities were pretty much in agreement at that point. I mean, there was some, some disagreement, but there's at least agreement that churches ought not to reopen yet. They weren't considered essential business. And then just a couple days ago, part of the civil authorities, namely the president of the United States of America, said, no, look, churches should be essential business. But then he threw that upon the governors. And there's some governors who do not think churches are essential business, and there's some that do. And then on top of that, even if you get a governor agreeing with the president, then you have local county officials that may put rules and restrictions upon churches and houses of worship. And so what crazy times we are in. It is hard enough to obey civil authorities when there's a lot of confusion, but when the civil authorities aren't even on the same page, it gets even crazier. Nevertheless, there is a clear command in Scripture. We ought to do our best as Christians 
to obey the civil authorities. Romans 13, 1 through 2. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resist what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. So the Christian is commanded by Scripture to do our best to submit to the governing authorities because those governing authorities aren't just there randomly. According to the book of Romans, they've been appointed by God. They are his delegated authority. Now, the purpose for this is not just because God says, hey, Christians, you need to be submissive and listen and do what you're told all the time. There's a reason for this. Or another way to phrase it is to ask the question, for what end? Why ought to we obey those civil authorities? And the Apostle Peter addresses this in other passages that talk about obedience to civil authorities. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. The key phrase there, it was in verse 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. In other words, when you obey civil authorities, You are also not just being submissive to them and to God, but there's an apologetic sort of witness to the world. The unbelieving world will have stuff to say against the church. And what Peter is saying is when you do your best to submit to civil authorities, you are disarming the ignorance of foolish people. Right next to this verse, there's a further description of this in verse 12. It says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So you see, the obedience to governing authorities is is twofold. You do it for the sake of the Lord. You do it to be obedient to him because those are his delegated authorities. But also, you want the unbelieving world to see your deeds and glorify God because of it. So it's twofold reason for being obedient to civil authorities, for God and for others. And this ties into the next letter of the equation. The first letter was C, obedience to civil authorities. The second letter in the equation was the W, witness. Witness. Christians care more about people knowing Jesus then they care about being personally vindicated for being in the right. And let me, let me give you an example of what I mean. Let's pretend you're a missionary and you are going to go to a people group who's never heard the gospel before. And in order to do so, you need to learn their language, their ways, their customs, and their culture. And in studying their culture, you realize that they believe it's wrong to drink tea. 
They think it's incredibly wrong to drink tea. For whatever reason, the culture has this like massive offense up against tea, tea drinking. You drink tea and it's this massive thing that will cause a hindrance to the gospel. They will not listen to you if you show up as a missionary being the, the dude who's just drinking tea all the time. Now, is there anything wrong with drinking tea? No. You know there's nothing inherently sinful with drinking some green tea. However, it's not about proving yourself to be right to that culture. It's about opening the door for the ultimate truth, the gospel to take root in that culture. And so even though there's nothing wrong with drinking tea, you're not going to drink tea while you're trying to be a missionary to these people because it's more important that they get to know Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, than it is for you to be personally proven right in your tea drinking. Now, you can up that example even further. You could replace tea with coffee, or you could replace it with like any caffeinated beverage. And some of you are like, stop, hold up, hold up. We'll stop because I ain't going to be that missionary then. They don't, they, they're going to die without the gospel because I'm not going to them. Look, in the example, you're a missionary. You're a Christian. And this is how Christians think. We think first and foremost about the advancement of the gospel than us being proven to be right in some manner of tea or coffee or caffeinated beverage. Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So we as Christians want to live in a way that wouldn't cause any hindrance to the gospel, any, any hindrance pushing the gospel back. We want the gospel to go forward. And so the first letter in our equation was C for civil authorities. The second letter that we have to be concerned about is W, witness. The third letter in the equation is P for prophetic nature. The nature of the church is prophetic. And I don't mean prophetic in the sense as prophecy that's predictive or telling the future type of prophecy. I'm talking about prophecy in the sense that it takes place the vast majority of time in the Old Testament. When you read the Old Testament, it's, it, it's the prophets who go before the king and tell them when they've gone too far. In other words, the church by nature is prophetic and by nature, therefore, is the body of people who tell the powers they've gone too far. And so when the king does something, it is the church that says, no, you can't do that. Now you may be saying, wait a second, wait a second. Your first letter was C. It was obey the civil authorities. And now you're saying it's the church's job to tell the king no. And this is, this is precisely why it's complicated. See, the civil authorities and the powers are powers that are delegated powers. God says you obey them because I've put them in charge. And when you obey them, it's as if you're obeying me. However, the powers can go too far. And when the powers go too far, it's the Christians, the church, the prophets of the Old Testament who respectfully, not in like evil, defiant rebellion, but respectfully say, no, you've gone too far. You tell the king no. One of the best examples of this, probably the most famous, is found in the book of Daniel. It's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this manner. For if this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. The quick backstory is the king Nebuchadnezzar sets up this image and he tells everyone to bow before it. And these faithful men say, no, we're not going to do it. You can kill us, but we're not going to do this. And all throughout the Old Testament, you see times when the prophets challenge the king when they go too far. And so sometimes a delegated authority can usurp the power. And therefore, Christians are put in a situation where they're going to have to violate their conscience before God in order to obey the civil authorities. So let me be clear. There is a time and a place when the Christian church should say, no, you've gone too far. It's the prophetic nature of the church. Now, that's a very, very difficult thing to figure out. Where exactly is the line when the church needs to use its prophetic calling and tell the king no? And this applies again, not only to our present circumstances, but there's all kinds of things, all kinds of issues. And so, again, review the letters. This is how, how difficult the equation is. You're called to obey civil authorities. You're also called to have a good witness before the unbelieving world. The church is also supposed to be the prophetic voice that tells the king no when he goes too far. The next letter in the equation, S, is safety. And a simple verse for this is just love your neighbor as yourself. Mark 12, 31. These are the words of Jesus. Love your neighbor as yourself. Safety is important because safety is caring about your neighbor. And so we want to do everything we can as a church to be incredibly safe, not only for the people who come to this church, but for all the people in our community. What if we do something that exposes X amount of people to something and then in turn exposes another X amount of people to other things? So we have a responsibility as a church to be safe and to love our neighbors. Now, this, like every letter, is complicated because people like to believe that, you know, you even hear people say stuff like this. Um, we're not going to do anything in any way, shape, or form that would cause anyone to be in any form of danger. And it's like, we all get the sentiment behind that. And there's, there's truth to that. We get it. But if you ask someone to leave their house in the car, there's a risk for a car accident. There's always risk and there's always danger. So you can't put yourself in a position where you're saying something like, until there's zero danger, we won't do anything. But you also simultaneously can't use that as an excuse to be reckless and be like, oh, well, you know, there's always danger. Life's full of danger. So let's just move on and get over this. It's to what degree? So in the equation, remember the, the S has an X next to it. And I'm sorry, I'm making you, some of you go back to, to algebra days, pre-algebra days. All the, the point of it is the X says, how much weight does this have? Safety is important, but how safe do you need to be in order to feel comfortable doing something? And that's very difficult to calculate. It's very difficult to calculate because there's so many factors. 
I'll even complicate this further because we want to be as safe as we possibly can as a church, a community, and as a people in this country to help protect others, especially those who are vulnerable. It's some people who are young and healthy, that they're going out, but what are you possibly doing to those who are vulnerable, right? Well, let me put another spin on this. The church is called to care for the most vulnerable. We care about the poor. We care about the marginalized. Who do you think is first hit when the economy tanks? Who are the first people hit? It's not people who have, who have tons of wealth and, and extra money and their bank accounts filled and they got some in this and this and they got gold over it. They're not, they're not the ones that are hit first. It's precisely the poor who get hit the hardest. It's the poor family struggling to make, make ends meet who now all of a sudden they don't get a paycheck and they can't make, make the mortgage payment. And now little kids are growing up hearing mom and dad argue because of all the stress over finances. And maybe mom and dad divorce or maybe even worse what we're seeing, depression and suicide go up. So the safety issue is so complex. It's not just this one thing or one issue here. And I'm just talking, remember, this is just the S letter. We've already gone over civil authorities, the prophetic nature of the church, our witness. We still have a couple more letters to go. But this is how complicated the issue is. And this is why as Christians, you have to be wise. Because what everyone is doing in our culture right now, they're picking one letter and grandstanding on it and virtue signaling like they got it all figured out because this is the one letter that matters most. And we're all, the way we're wired, the body of Christ is diverse. We're all going to gravitate to one or two of these letters. But what we can't do is pick one or two, neglect all the other ones, and grandstand and virtue signal on top of that one thing. So safety matters. It's important. We want to protect those who are vulnerable. We don't want to expose people who don't need to be exposed. But the prophetic nature of the church matters, and obeying civil authority matters, and our witness before an unbelieving community, that matters as well. So we got C for civil authorities, W for witness, P, prophetic nature of the church, S for safety, and then F for faithfulness. The church is not a disembodied digital experience. The church is made up of people, of neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male or female. And we gather and we worship and we sing and we take communion and we hear God's word spoken to us. Human beings are, were created with senses and those senses are designed to, to partake in experience, not just disembodied digital realities. And so as Christians, God calls us to gather. So there's a faithfulness issue. Hebrews chapter 10, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We are not supposed to neglect the gatherings. Now, in certain situations, like a pandemic, God says, okay, okay, hold on. But there's a time and a place where it's like, what do you do? What do you do? And this goes back to the C in the equation. Civil authorities, safety, faithfulness to a command in, in, in Hebrews. Because remember, the command to obey civil authority is also a command in Scripture. 
So again, there's all these factors that you have to weigh and you have to consider all of them. The last letter in the equation is Q, quality of service. Now I'm going to pause for a second right here because if you remove, remove this Q from the equation, all those other letters, you can actually apply to many situations in your Christian walk. And trust me, Christians living in the world we're living in, we don't live in the kingdom of heaven yet, will always continually have to weigh those issues. And maybe there'll be an issue before you where the S isn't, but it's a, it's a C and a W type of thing. Christians have to learn the art of balancing this, figuring out what would God say of this part and how, how, how weighty is this issue and how weighty is this issue? This is what biblical wisdom is all about. Biblical wisdom relies on looking at the full picture and making a decision based upon the wisdom you've acquired in life and from the Lord and through prayer, saying, God, help me figure this stuff out. So this last letter is particular to our situation, and it has to deal with quality of service. So most likely, from what I can tell, in the next few weeks, maybe it's one week, two weeks, three weeks, five weeks, who, who, I, I don't know exactly, but most likely, California and the governor are, they're going to say some, some type of thing where churches are allowed to meet in some way. Now, we can almost be certain that they're not going to say, hey, none of this ever happened. Let's go back to meeting like we used to, where the sanctuary is filled with people and uh, there's, not, there's no mask around and, and we, we're hugging and we're all singing and we're not worried about COVID-19. Like th That's not going to happen overnight. Most likely... And I, I, don't, I don't know this, but most likely there's going to be an, a slower reopening, okay? So imagine, let's just hypothetically say, they say, okay, churches can reopen in two weeks, but you could only be at 25% of capacity of room, and you have to wear masks, and you have to socially distance, okay? You have to weigh that quality of service over against what we're doing digitally at home. Or, depending upon what's allowed, you might have to, to weigh that experience versus maybe like a house church experience. What if they said people are 20 or less can gather at homes? And maybe then we get like host churches and we do a live stream to all these different houses where people are gathered, maybe seven, eight, nine, 10 to 20 people, and they experience the service live in houses. So, What's going to be allowed and what type of church experience does that open up? And we're going to have to wrestle through that and we're not going to be on the same page with that. Trust me. Watch, I'll give you an easy example. There are some people, and I know because you've messaged, you've messaged me on both ends. There are some people who say, man, we got to get back to church. Even if they only allow 50 people in the room, we have to wear masks. It's socially distanced. I don't care, man. I just need to get back to a Sunday service and be in the church building and sing and hear the message. So I'll do whatever. I'll wear, wear a mask. I'll socially distance. Only 50 people in the room. I don't care. I'll be there. There are some of you who have said, if I have to wear a mask at church, I don't want to go. I'd rather watch online at home. So we have both sides and everywhere in between in this congregation. And so we have to decide 
what's going to best minister to and disciple our church when we begin to reopen. What does that look like? Is it smaller gatherings in our buildings? Is it house churches? We're going to have to decide that. And people are going to have different opinions on that. There are some of you who would come in here and if someone took off their mask, you might politely tell them, hey, can you put that on? I, I think it's a safety issue. And then there's some people who would be like, you know, this is overblown. I, I, I'm not going to wear this mask. I'm going to sing to my God. People feel strongly about those issues. And we're in a position as a church where we want to balance the equation. We want to be as safe as possible. We want to have a good witness. We want to obey civil authorities. But we also know that if a church service that's so stifled and restricted is the only thing that could occur, maybe it'd be better to meet in homes. Maybe it'd be better to continue watching digitally online for a few more weeks until we get more options available. I don't know the answer to all of this. All I'm doing is saying within the body of Christ, there's a lot of different opinions going on right now. We're not all on the same page, but we need to strive for unity. We need to strive to be one, forgiving and gracious with one another as we all weigh different letters in the equation differently. Y equals opening up. And we have to figure out all these factors, C, W, P, S, F, and Q. And some people are all about the P, some people are all about the S, some people are all about the C and the W. I have my personal leanings. But our goal as a church is to do our best to be as gracious and forgiving as unified and do our best to balance the equation because all of these letters matter. All of the letters matter. Now, what I ask of you all is to be praying for the church because most likely this week, we're going to get some more information, more communication about what opening up may look like. And this church, South Valley, is going to have to decide with that information, how are we going to implement moving, moving forward? So we need prayer and we need wisdom because no human being is smart enough by themselves to solve that equation. No one is. And if a simple human beings think they can figure it out so perfectly that they could predict all the other factors and future details, things we don't know about, then there's foolishness. So there's a verse that's incredibly important for our church right now. I'm going to put up on the screen. I'm going to read it. But I ask you to be praying for the leadership of this church as we figure a path forward. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. Be wise, be not wise in your own eyes. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So we want to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. We don't want to just rely on our own understanding, rely on human wisdom. So be praying for the church as we move forward. I've been talking with pastors from literally dozens of other churches in the area, this immediate South County, San Benito area, and then also the greater Bay Area. And there is great unity among the churches. All of us are trying to balance this equation in different ways. Some churches 
because of their size, their building size, their number of attendants, their demographics, may be open to meeting up sooner than others. And some may push it back further than others. Let's say you have a big giant building that can fit 500 people, but your average attendance is only 100 people. That's, that doesn't cause any logistical problems for you. But let's say you're a church who's already doing five to six services and they're already packed out. And now you got to restrict it to 20% capacity. Are you going to do 12 services? Some may choose to do that. Some may say, hey, we just got to keep doing digital stuff until we could, uh, they allow us to have greater capacity. We want to bless and honor the decision of other churches and pastors and leaders and elders. We're going to try to do what's right for us in our situation with our buildings in Gilroy and Hollister, with our demographics, with our size, but we need the Lord's wisdom for this. As I close, I want to have us focus on one thing. There are many different thoughts about what to do. And in one sense, you could say, hey, the body of Christ isn't completely united on this. But here's the thing. It is not our opinions on a pandemic that unites us. We are not united by what news sources we trust, by how safe we are in this situation or how safe we are in this situation. We are not united on human opinions on pandemics. We are united because our father sent his son to save us. We are family because we were blood bought with the sacrifice of an innocent son sent by our father to save us and bring us together. Do not let the world and our present circumstances divide us. Our unity was blood bought. So be gracious and forgiving to one another in very difficult times of high tension. We are a blood-bought family. Our Heavenly Father loves us so much that He sent His only Son to die that He might save us, that He would forgive us of our sins and bring us into His fold. And so focus on that. Focus on the cross. I'm going to pray. We're going to continue with service. Father God, give this church wisdom. Give its leadership wisdom. Keep our people safe. Keep us united. We pray for the governing authorities. We pray that you give them wisdom and insight and discernment. We pray that they do what's right. You know the right decisions and the path forward. So we pray that you give your delegated authorities the insight they need. And when they're wrong or they're off, correct them. Convict them when they go the wrong way. Be with them. We need their wisdom. We need them to be wise and help the church navigate this very difficult equation. We can't solve it without you. We don't want to lean on our own understanding. We want to lean on you. So help us to do this in this time. Lord, we love you. You are a good God. The moon is always round. You are always good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.